Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest and my dear friend, Derek Champagne. Derek is a serial entrepreneur with over 15 years experience developing effective marketing campaigns. Derek has a story of growing up from humble beginnings, being on stage at the age of three. Yeah, you heard that right, three. His years as a Hollywood musician and his diverse journey to get to where he is today. And I'll add a very successful entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of the Artist Evolution, a full service agency building memorable brands, marketing tools, and campaigns for startups, all the way to household brands. Derek is also the author of the best selling marketing book, Don't Buy a Duck, which I'm almost through reading, and it's an awesome book on marketing, and the host of the popular business leadership series podcast that also airs as a weekly business radio show on ESPN Radio regionally. Derek is also a published musician with contributions on soundtracks that have been featured on ABC, MTV, Bravo, E, and Oxygen. Derek, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. You ready for this? Alan, buddy, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, I'm ready for a great conversation. Thank you. Me too. Well, I've shared with our audience just a brief intro of some of your accolades and a little bit of who you are, but if you could just Take us back and bring us up to speed on a little more detail on who you are and how you got to be where you are today, if you don't mind. Yeah, happy to do that. All right. So you started at three years old already. So my parents were part-time touring musicians in the 70s, early 80s. So I was born in 76. So I was just naturally on stage with them singing and learning to play music at an early age. So that just, I always saw that. And so fast forward many years later, when I'm interested in brands and connecting with audiences, I probably learned it back then. My parents going from town to town, playing for audiences, selling CD. Back then it was records, right? Which have made a big comeback again. But right. for a few years, that wasn't cool. And so I always just loved that. So growing up, I loved music and business equally. For some reason, at a really early age, uh, I was really interested in music. And, and my mom and dad had, in their early 20s, had maybe made some money in a few gray areas, maybe that they weren't proud of. They looked on the map. They lived on the East Coast. They saw this place called Arkansas and had never been there. Remember, this is before cell phones or anything like that. Like you had to pull out a big map and look at it. You couldn't get on the internet. Like, oh, that looks like a nice wooded spot to go live. So they kind of retired in their early 20s and moved to Arkansas. And so that's how I got to Arkansas where I live today. My dad ended up deciding that they were going to start over from scratch and do their money the right way. He put everything he had in the offering plate and started as a blue collar making $3.18 an hour when he'd been retired. And my whole life worked everything he had just to put food on the table. I had three adopted sisters. We had homeless people live with us. So I think we had over 50 people live in our house over the years and never really had much. We made a dollar stretch. And that's not a sob story. Many of us can relate to that. But in the title of the podcast, I think that's relevant, right? And so for me, it was government cheese, dirt road. My friends would come over and say, turn on the air conditioning. I'm like, air conditioning? We don't have air conditioning. Never had air conditioning my whole life. No cable television. I was watching a black and white TV at like going into my teenage years, I think. But music was my outlet. And so I learned really early on that if I wanted something, I had to work for it and that I had to work really hard for it and I had to do it myself. And so not taken away at all from my parents. It was amazing and they provided for me, but I'm like, oh, if I want to do extra or live that big dream as an entrepreneur, 
that's on me. And I found that really early on when I was like buying the food I wanted or the extra clothes I wanted. I'm like, oh, you have to get up earlier or stay up later and just do it. Someone's not going to do it for me. And so that mindset went with me for a long time. And I had a couple of businesses, small businesses. I was always a hustling entrepreneur. I had my first company, official company. I think I was 19 or 20. I built it and sold it. And then I followed my passion, which was I'd always said I wanted to go to Hollywood or to New York and go to music school. And by the way, my brother and I had started a band when I was, I think, 10. So we were touring from Arkansas to Nashville. My dad was driving us. When I was 18 years old, I had my first bulk mailing permit. I had my own light show, my own trailer. We had a Las Vegas tour bus that we'd purchased. And so we were already doing the music business thing for a long time. I'd been touring and, and playing shows for what, by the time I was 18, for closer to a decade. And so I moved to California, and that was what I really wanted to go in the music business. So I went to Musicians Institute out there. I was playing three, four nights a week on the Sunset Strip, doing tours. I had a couple of businesses while I was out there as well. It was a grinding lifestyle. And so I'll spare you some of the details, some cool stuff too. I got to be the bass player at the Viper Room when Johnny Depp owned that club out there. You name a cool club, people ask if we played it. I'm like, yeah, we did. did you play the Rainbow Room? We played it. Did you play House of Blues on Sunset? We played it all the time. Did you play whatever it was? The one the Doors played. Oh yeah, we used to play that too. Yeah. So I got to go from humble beginnings to like playing all the stuff I'd read about in magazines. And that was my dream. And I remember the year before I moved to California, I'm sitting on the beach in Florida with some buddies. We all scraped money together to go hang out on the beach. Everyone's in college. And I said, I'm going to go live in California. I'm going to go in a year. And they all kind of I love them if they listen to this, but they all kind of laughed at me. Sure you are. To the day, not even on purpose, but to the day I packed up and I moved to California, not knowing wow. anybody, not having a place to live even yet. I just sold a little business and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so I really explored the music side of business for a long time, had an entertainment company there, was 29 years old and was like, man, I am getting tired of midnight shows and the, and the entertainment lifestyle. It was just exhausting for me. And I had met my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now. She was an actress. I was a musician. And we're like, there might be acquired life. So we ended up moving back to Northwest Arkansas, which I never thought I'd live there again. We flew out from visiting. I said, you know what? That was really cool to go back there, but I don't think I'm meant for a small town. I don't think I'd ever live there again. Never say never. 10 weeks later, we were packing up and moving back to Northwest Arkansas. So I had left my bands I was in, got to do some cool stuff. But as you heard in the intro, put music on some soundtracks and some fun things like that in the music space. And I left on purpose. And so I left on purpose and, and I'll save some of the story maybe when you ask for a hard time, but basically through a transition, which I'll talk about more later, I ended up having opportunity to start the artist evolution, which originally was to help artists. And so that was in 2007. And it happened just during an unexpected transition in my life. And what is it? We're celebrating 16 years this month. And by the way, I had no business starting a marketing agency. I was marketing-ish and I had always marketed stuff, but I went and finished my college degree and my MBA after I'd already had several companies, already been in the music business, came back to Northwest Arkansas, then finished. I'd already owned an agency by then. So I'm finishing a marketing degree. I've already got interns working for me who are working on getting their marketing degree. So things happen backwards sometimes, but we've had the privilege of working from startups to household brands over the years and be involved in a handful of other companies because I just like to do other things. So we had a sports media company in the pro athlete space and a few other investments that we've been a part of. So that's kind of my fast forward to today. I love it, man. You have done a lot. So 2007 is when you started. Is that accurate to say your primary business today, even yep. though you own parts of or multiple businesses? 100%. Okay. Yep. Your parents and my wife and I have something in common. 
we both grew up and married in California. You said you grew up, I mean, your early, early years before Arkansas was the East Coast somewhere. Right. Yep. Yep. Rhode Island, Boston. Yeah. Boston. Okay. So opposite sides of the country, but we at two years into our marriage took a road trip, just looking for greener grass on the other side of the fence to get out of California. And we went to Arkansas. We almost <laughs> moved there. I mean, I had a job lined up as a contractor and we were that close to going, wow. but we didn't. So anyway, but at 19, I'm curious, what was that first business you started and sold? And what age were you when you landed in California? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I might miss the age. Maybe I was 21 when I sold the business. It was called Champagne Distributing because that's my last name. And we basically brought Marietta was a California company and we brought a territory to Arkansas, Missouri, Oklahoma. And so I was the cookie man. I owned the rights to Famous Amos, Jackson Vanilla Wafers, Marietta Cookies, all these product lines that were very popular here in the South. And my customers were Walmart Super Centers, box stores, and I had a warehouse filled with cookies. And that's one of the big uh, lessons I learned, Alan, was, oh, you have to rotate your inventory when you have perishable goods. And that's something right. I didn't intuitively know until I realized that I had a warehouse full of expired cookies and those were all my treat to pay for, right? Wow. And then how many years were you in California during that season? Uh, almost seven years in California. Most of your 20s. Is that right? Yeah, most of my 20s. Most of your 20s. And then you start the artist evolution. And what would you say have been some, I mean, I know you well enough to know you've had some major success, not just financially, but in your marriage and your family and your health and all the things that are important and yeah. the things I call successful living. And hopefully others do as well. I know you do. But just speaking even of your professional success, what you've accomplished. I mean, you said you, your business now works with startups to household brands. I mean, just give our listeners an idea of what you're yeah, up to. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've had a couple of companies I've had exits from, so I've been able to build them and sell them. That's the happy part. Now, I'll equally say that I've had a few businesses I've learned lessons on and have scars from that did not go anywhere. And they were disappointments. I even had one during COVID that I was super excited about that shut down during COVID, which was probably my crown jewel in the pro athlete marketing space. But a lot of us had transitions that happened during that time. But yeah, I would say going from someone that was in the music industry in a whole different pivot, I'm really proud that I was able to make a pivot and have a complete career change, a complete identity change as far as on my professional life in over my head too. I've always been the underdog. That's always been my approach. And that's why I have trouble answering your question is being an underdog is my secret power. And I like to show up in any room as the underdog. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not speaking on stage to 2,000 people or on a podcast or writing a book or working with some clients like Domino's Pizza or Princeton University. Or I mean, we've had some amazing campaigns we've worked on that are marquee campaigns. And so I guess that's a success. But I always like to have that underdog underlier part of it, because I think for me personally, if I forget that part of it, there's been a few times in my career where I relied on the laurels of my resume only to look back and go, oh. Rome is burning because I'm so focused on what I did in the past that I'm not getting a line of sight out into the future. Yes, use it as a foundational advantage, but what have I done today? What am I doing in the next couple of years to keep earning that spot? Because the days of just setting something up and being done are almost gone because there's disruption that happens all the time. So I think that's an important mindset is understanding my industry, my world is going to experience continual disruption. It's not a set it, forget it on happiness. It's not a set and forget it on success. It's a continual revisiting and defining what's important to you, what success looks like. And am I relevant to the people and the stakeholders that I serve still? If not, look out. There's someone behind you that's hungrier and more interested in doing that. 
Yep, absolutely. And something else that you said, I don't know if I'm going to put words in your mouth, but you can clarify if I'm wrong in my understanding. But I meet so many people, and I'm sure you do too, that feel like they want to, and I've got this personality type if I allowed myself to. I'm very quick start and very analytical too. But I could overanalyze something to death. I want to do things right. I have perfectionistic persuasions, right? So it's like, I'll start once I've got all my I's dotted and my T's crossed and we've got it all figured out. And I see so many people and I've learned that's not a great place to be. Preparation is important, of course, but I see so many people that they get paralyzed with starting a new business or starting anything, even starting a workout program. They're fixing to get ready. They're getting ready to get ready. They're whatever they might say. But what I just heard you say is you jumped into your marketing business, the artist evolution, and I don't know if this is accurate, but almost like you're figuring it out on the fly. Like you're not waiting to get all the answers. You aren't waiting even to get your degree before you jumped in and took off. And there's a lesson to be learned there because you've had a tremendous amount of success and you didn't wait to figure it all out before you got started, right? So can I break that down for a minute? Yeah. When I think through like why people don't get started sometimes, and I'm one of these people, but I've learned to identify and get past it. One is we're afraid of failure. A lot of that is, yes, there's consequences, but part of it is our pride. But if you really think about it, think of all the people you know in your life. If they told you that they made a change in what they do for a living or in where they live or something like that, you probably wouldn't give it more than 10 seconds thought. You would go, happy for you, buddy. But that person agonized over it for years. What are people going to think? What are they going to say if I do? Nobody cares. And one of the best examples I ever had, and this was an early business I had as well, I had a cleaning company. And I forgot to mention that one. What happened is I went to work for this guy who was in college. He was finishing his law degree. And he was making thousands of dollars a day washing people's windows. And he said, hey, you want to work with me? And I'm like, yeah, show me how you make money. Like, show me how you make cash. Remember growing up poor and like, if someone knew how to make cash, like, tell me how you did it. So some of my friends were working at the mall or things like that. And they were too proud to ever wash a window. And so I went along with this guy who was paying cash for law school himself, himself, cash. And he's walking through and he knocks on a door. Can I wash your windows? hundred bucks. No. Okay, doesn't care, rejection, tromping through flower beds, knocks on the next door. Yes, no, yes, yes, no, yes, no. And then when he's done, he's got like $2,000 cash sitting there for the last two hours of work, three hours. And so that taught me, that blew my mind that if you don't really care what everyone else around you thinks and you have a vision that you want to do something, even if it's not glamorous, Washing windows isn't glamorous. Owning a cookie business isn't glamorous. Sometimes having a marketing company isn't glamorous. Like it's not, right. but it's my calling, my mission, and it's what I'm doing. And so I think having that at an early age, that mindset of, oh, you can just go do it, helps you do it. And then the next thing is, from a music standpoint, I was not the most talented musician. And my brother, a year older, was like a virtuoso. He like stopped taking piano lessons, was like doing concertos at nine years old, and I'm screeching a violin and then trying to play my bass. And so I realized back then is if I work harder, I can fake it till I make it. And so there was a summer that I would practice for 50 hours a week on my bass. I wanted to play like the Chili Peppers, and I, I loved Flea from the Chili Peppers. And so I would practice slap bass for 50 hours. So my hands were bleeding till I was putting glue on them and do it again and do it again and do it again. And guess what? People thought I was the best slap bass player they knew because I put in the work. So even though I wasn't naturally gifted at it, and there are some things that maybe I'm not gonna ever be able to play in the NBA, probably, unless they change a lot of rules, but that was something that if I worked really hard and devoted myself to it with reckless abandon that I could do it. And so doing that at an early age showed me, hey, if there's something I think I can get really good at and I put in the work, I'm gonna do it. I started realizing too, Alan, that a lot of people were just like me and either they were working really hard or most of them 
weren't working really hard and I was going to outwork them and, and figure it out because I'm going to get up earlier and work harder and, and I'm going to learn the craft. And I've never lost that mindset. Like being willing to be a student until you die is probably a good thing. You're always going to be a student. I tell the kids that intern at our agency, I'm saying, hey, you're about to graduate. Congratulations. But if you're going to work in this industry, that changes all the time. I hope that you're going to keep that student mindset because you're always going to need it in order to be relevant and to beat the competition. So good. So many golden nuggets there, Derek. So good. And even going back to one of the first ones you just dropped, you know, not being worried about what other people think about you. And I've said this so many times and it took me years to realize that, like you said, people aren't so worried about us as we think they are. They're too busy worrying right. about what other people are thinking about them to be concerned that whether we moved or changed careers is like whatever, That's right. or whether we failed, you know, right. and had to get back up and dust ourselves off and keep going again. So anyway, so good. So good. And Alan, if I can say one yeah. thing on that is the people that I like to lean into, like the mentors that I want to be around, those that really inspire me and can take me from here to here to here to here. And I do the same thing with people I work with. Inherently, I want to see people that have made mistakes and have learned from them. Right. I don't want to work with someone with, with an unblemished record, respectfully. Like there's no mosaic to your story that way. In fact, you're probably hiding something if you've never made a mistake and have no lessons, right? 100%. So it actually just keeps building you to have be a more well-rounded mosaic of your character and you attract quality people when you've done that. It somehow works that way. So true. So true. So what would you say, obviously you've had a lot of success. We could spend the whole podcast talking about your success. We won't. What would you say <laughs> if I asked you, what is one of the keys just for our audience's sake to your success? I'm going to give you a two-part answer, unfortunately. One is okay. the way that I got to experience whatever we define as success. I'm air quoting. Let me go in closer. Right. Was due to my mantra of without fail. In fact, my team says it here still to this day, 16 years later. And at an early age, I just heard those two words without fail. And I decided those were going to be my two words, which means without excuse, as promised to myself or to somebody else. And it was really that simple. That was my mantra. When others weren't doing it, I was doing it. When I was booking shows across the country myself or getting in over my head on booking a job I wanted to get for a new company I'd started, or it was, I'm going to figure it out. I'm without fail. I'm going to do it. And so that was then. That's how I was able to achieve a certain level of respect and success as far as financially and network and those kinds of things. But the way now that I've been able to keep that, so it's a two-part answer. It's young Derek to build it, Derek to keep it, has really been about my willingness to see where I fit into the world around my faith, around my family, around my priorities, and around my ability to look at the world and have gratitude about where I sit in it. I love it. That's the twofold. It's more mature Derek looking back. And then there's earlier Derek. And honestly, Alan, I was afraid to work on the second part of my life and unpack that part about seven, eight years ago, because I was afraid I would lose that mojo, that without fail secret sauce that Derek has. Give it to Derek. He'll run the ball to the finish line. Give it to Derek. He'll climb up the hill. And I was. But as I started feeling fallible and like I was mortal at a certain point, I'm like, you know what? There must be more context to all of this. And that's where in one of the mastermind groups we're in, I found the balance of success meets significance. And I yeah. believe the two of those have to go hand in hand for a purposeful and joy-filled life, which is what we all want. We want joy and we want fulfillment. Yeah, absolutely. That is so interesting. I wonder how many other listeners can relate with that feeling of, hey, if I get balance if I have success, if I slow down in my career enough, and I don't know if this is how you'd say it, but if I slow down in my career enough to care enough about the other important areas of life, 
that arguably are more important in life than even financial and monetary success. Am I going to lose, as you said, the mojo? Am I going to oh, lose that yeah. focus, that drive, that grind, that hustle muscle? Yeah. What would you say to someone who's still feeling that way? Like, yeah, it sounds great. I mean, you can say what you want. You can say fake it till you make it, but I'd take a bunch of faith because I don't believe that. I'd lose something. What would you say? Well, you might be right. So be careful, right? <laughs> you might be right about that. That was my fear as well. So I can only tell you my personal experience with it. But there was a point in my marriage where my wife would say, are you happy? And everything was seemingly great. Had the cars, the house, the money, the, everything was great. And I would said, I would pay any amount of money in the world and give anything to have peace. And here I was, self-proclaimed person of faith. And my friends from church would go, you need to go to church. You need to pray. I'm like, I'm doing those things. And I had a restlessness. And that restlessness I used to my advantage to keep people at bay, to conquer things and do it with, I think, with a reasonable amount of kindness. I wasn't ruthless. So that was the mojo. And so I would challenge your listeners, if you have a unsettled restlessness, if you cannot seem to find lasting peace and kind of fulfillment and satisfaction, and it's this hamster wheel of keep building more. Guys, I didn't celebrate success. That's one of our core values I'm looking at right now is celebrating our wins is my personality type would go conquer something, climb a mountain. And the second someone said, good job, I go, what about that mountain? And it's exhausting for my family, for my team members. Now let's go do that mountain. Now that, and I still climb mountains, but there's a different reason I climb the mountains now. So my mojo didn't change. My peace in doing it and my sense of purpose and how I fit into climbing the mountain changed. I sleep better at night. I'm more at peace. I'm a better, more friendly person to be around. Alan, we know each other pretty well. I spend a lot of my time investing in other people so that they'll have that as well. Not that I'm preaching it on to them, but just I, I've been there. I've walked through some yeah. really hard times of unpacking that part of it. So yeah, if you want peace and fulfillment, I would take some time to slow down. We cannot do it with the too much noise around us. And most of us put as many things we can around us, including our phones and our social media and everything we can to fill up our schedule because we're scared to death, subconsciously, most of us, of being alone with ourselves long enough to hear maybe a change that we need to have or something we need to unpack. And actually, that's where the meaningful growth happens. And at least I would say in the second half, for me in the second half of my life right now, which I don't want to waste any time. 100% uh, well said. I have nothing to add. That was so well said. Thank you. Again, you've had a lot of success. What would you say is one or more of your bigger challenges that you face to date? So while I talk about all these great things about that, I kind of breezed over like, oh, just be in the right spot and mindset. I share it because I struggled with it. And I did care a lot what people thought about it. And, and I was thinking about this a lot recently, preparing for a talk. And I was thinking that I am a recovering self-worshipper, a recovering pride addict. I don't know. You can call it what you want, but I, sometimes shyness is that, right? Like a, putting so many layers around you because you don't want to have rejection. It almost seems like counter to what I've been sharing. But I realized that some of that about myself. And one of the worst times for me, Alan, was that I realized that how much my identity was tied to what I do was when I left the music industry. And I left the music industry by choice. My wife and I decided to move. And I went into a minority partnership that didn't work out. And so just long story short, I went from playing shows in Hollywood, six months later, sitting by choice in a cubicle in Bentonville, Arkansas, working in the Walmart vendor space. And I'm sitting in a cubicle, turning 30 and going, what did I just do by choice? And when people would ask me what I did, I couldn't tell them. And I didn't know how to say something that sounded significant enough to even tell them who I was. And I felt lost. And around that exact same time, the project that I've been part of in LA, a guy named John Mayer, who's a big music artist, 
endorsed the band, endorsed the songs, endorsed everything, and I wasn't there. I assumed when I left, it would fall apart. Well, if Derek's not there, and that was my identity, it ends with me, right? I leave, it falls apart. That was a flaw in my character at the time. Alan, I heard an explosion in my head. I heard a boom and I tasted copper in my mouth and I'm sitting in this cubicle and I rushed myself to the emergency room and I'm there for hours getting tests and like, you're fine. A few days later, similar thing happened again. I go back to the hospital. You're fine. Third time it happened, I go to the doctor and the doctor said, Derek, you're not sick. You're unhappy. And you either need to learn to like the life you have or you need to make a change. Wow. It was, again, all by choice. And I learned several things about myself during that time. One is the next week I went and started the Artist Evolution, which I have 16 years later, and we've worked all over the nation on some of the biggest projects. That wouldn't have happened if I had not gone through that low point. What I do today, the purpose I have today, the book I've written, the podcast, all the things that I do would not have happened if I hadn't gone through that really low point. And another thing I learned about myself during that time with shame is that I was unhappy for... When I left the project, I wanted to fall apart. My explosion in my head and my breakdown of sorts was because I wasn't happy. I decided from that point on that I wanted to be a legacy entrepreneur. And I think I coined that phrase, maybe not, but I haven't found it anywhere else when I said it. And that was meaning that when my fingerprint touches something, when I leave it, I want it to be way better than when I first touched it. I want to be able to take my hands off it and it grow and me be able to tiptoe back away from it. Don't need any credit for it. And the legacy is right there and it lives on. And I've tried to have that mindset since, but that was a character flaw for me, Alan, was that I wanted to fall apart. Without me, shouldn't go on. Right. Wow, I love that. I want to just dive a little bit deeper into identity before I ask you some other questions. But it's interesting what you just shared because I was just sharing with Nicole the book that is coming out here in September of 2023 that I've written my first book. I look up to others like you that have already done it and blazed the trail. But I was sharing with her just last night. I said, you know, Nicole, had we not been through all of these challenges and all these things that we've learned from that God's used to grow us and he's still using, <laughs> it's, it's not over yet. I wouldn't have a book to write. I wouldn't have a story to tell. Right. We wouldn't be in the career we're in. We wouldn't be in business together. Our life would look totally different. So yeah. as much as it was painful to go through a lot of these things, like I can look back now in hindsight and see that God took ashes and turned it into beauty and all these things. Right. And I think that's a perspective. And that's why I like also to ask the question of guests like you, like what challenges have you been through? Because on the outside, like many other successful people, Derek, you know, someone could look and just go, man, I mean, who knows? I mean, you could have grown up with money. You could have been just given a business or you could have just built it with no challenges in the process. No one would know unless you came on, unless you told people, right? Someone right. wouldn't know. But I want to go back to identity. That was a big issue. What would you say to somebody that's struggling with finding their identity? I think that's a big thing that I just keep running into, especially men, but it's like the identity comes from the career so many times. Well, it's never a solid identity, first of all. And then it's just shaky ground to build a life on. And so what would you say to someone that's just struggling with the struggle that you had to go through, even changing your identity and finding your identity, if you will? Yeah. Mine's going to have a faith narrative to it, Alan, because it is how I found my identity. I'm a branding guy, right? So here I am peeling back layers, as I talked about through a seven, eight, whatever. Hey, look, our journeys, we're going to be peeling back things our whole life. I mean, if we're not, then we're not growing. And, you know, I, I would assume that if I can talk on my deathbed, I'm going to have just had another lesson that I'm talking about. And it, I'm, we're always works in progress. But I remember peeling back these layers to find my mojo. I mean, this was a very intentional process. I had a therapist helping me. I had a sister that passed away. I had never dealt with the grief. So it was like I was starting to unpack all the things that are just in there. 
And I was at church one day and this guy, this preacher said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to give you branding exercise. And in my head, honestly, I didn't really want to be there that morning. I'm like, Oh, this will be good. And I'm like, here's a preacher pretending to be a brand expert. I'd probably just got done doing a big branding project. Right. And so I'm like, all right, the lights were off in there. And he whispered, you are a deeply loved child of God. And that's it. The room went silent and dark for about a minute. And I rolled for a second. Then I sat in that and I marinated on it. There's five words. And that was a transformational moment in my life to show where I fit in the universe and to show where I fit with acceptance and where I fit with mindset on everything that I do. That moment, that guy didn't realize that what he said was going to rock my world. In fact, I have never thanked him. I don't remember who preached the sermon. And I don't know if I was supposed to be there that day. And so I changed the narrative over time. I started to change the narrative about what my identity looked like because I had had such big identity experiences. By the way, my loss of identity helped me later to work with pro athletes who were retiring. And so it transitioned for me to where when I talk with pro athletes that are retired and they're going through a transition, mine's different, but I can completely sit with them, have a breakfast, talk to them and go, I get it. I didn't know how to say what I did. You could say that you were the starting whatever for the Colts. And now you don't know what to tell people. You sell insurance now. You sell vitamins. You sell marketing. That doesn't sound as good. It's not in front of the world. It's different. And so learning to see where you fit. And so my mindset now is I know where my identity sits in the universe and where I fit. And there's a parable that I've probably shared with you before, although you already know it, the talents. And there's a parable of the talents where these individuals are given talents and told to go use them. And one buries them and hides them. He hides the talents and he's rebuked for it. He's going, why'd you hide it? Others took it and they produce it. So in my world, my identity is to get up each day. I'm a deeply loved child of God. And I get to take the resources I'm given at this particular season of life and use them for the reasons that I've been called to use them. What a different pressure. And I'll tell you too, Alan, I love the name of your podcast, Life's Hard Succeed Anyway. I would say, as we talk about doing gratitude journals, life is a miracle. Life is unbelievable. Life is now. Life, keep going. If someone's having a tough time, I would write that part out because, man, life is an unbelievable miracle. And it's something we have to embrace that we don't get any guarantee of having after today or tomorrow. I love it. So good. So good. So when you look back on your past challenges, and I know you haven't tried to name them all on this podcast, but just all of them. (laughs) We don't have time to name them all. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. How old are you now? About to be 48. Almost 48. Okay, I got you by three years. So we've lived enough to have a few challenges, right? How do you view those in light of your current success? I need them. I go through challenges still all the time, Alan. Like it's not bad news for people that are climbing maybe the summit or perceived summit for the first time. There's going to be peaks and valleys all the time. There just are. It is part of it. And so my mindset now, and it's not fun to go through. I mean, we had something last week where we got scammed our bookkeeping got scammed out of a lot of money. It's not like I never have challenges and we have health challenges in our family. Like there's things all the time, but now I look at it as you're either zoomed in on something, you can't see the whole thing or you zoom back and you can see it more clearly. And so I use the past as a zooming lens to zoom out and see historical data on my life. Because when you're in the middle of something, either good or bad, you don't have perspective. You have this, oh, I'm really doing well right now. And people make bad choices sometimes when they just are living on that top needle and they're seeing it this close, right? 
But when you can zoom it back, like, oh, I'm experiencing this. Maybe I should save right now because this happens. Or, oh, this happens and I learned from this last time. I mean, I had a call this morning where my past music life, some challenges randomly or serendipitously applied to the conversation I had. Now I might do some stuff in Nashville, all based on a challenge I had in early 2000s to a call today to what we're going to do next. I think the challenges you have are critical. No one will watch a movie that doesn't have, if there's no arc, if there's no dip, and you're never going to tell them about that movie, you're going to turn it off. It's just all flatlined and it's all just good. That's boring. Right. Right. hundred percent. Absolutely. I love that perspective. What advice would you give to somebody who's in the middle of their challenge, whatever it may be right now today, listening to this? You know, again, I think the perspective on it, I can't stress enough the importance of being present in understanding gratitude. I talked to a guy a few years ago who was a double amputee, born that way, double quadriplegic. And he was the first person to ever bear crawl to the top of Mount Everest and then another mountain the next year. So when I put into perspective, like what your challenge is, and it might be great. One is you're not alone going through it. And so there's help around you. Anything you're going through, somebody else has gone through. It's just a matter of identifying and being vulnerable and somebody will help you. And somebody will shortcut the heck out of it for you. Like if you're in some insurmountable thing right now or in the middle of something, someone else, I guarantee you, has been through it like that, maybe even worse. And they're there. They can help you either know how to grieve or get through it or how to pull you up a lot more quickly. Good and bad, whatever you're going through. But then also it's around perspective. A lot of our perceived needs are really wants and the practice of gratitude and thinking about it. I was, I was going through this the other day, Alan. I was having a tough week last week. I think I told our mastermind group, like I was sick, didn't go, go visit my family. I just started doing a gratitude journal. I'm like, oh, I can actually get up and walk over to get a glass of water. There's two miracles there. Well, three. One is I'm alive. The next one is I can use my legs. And I know people who can't use their legs. And the next is I have running water in my house and I can and I have a clean glass to drink from. The thing that I just did, seemingly insignificant, is an absolute miracle and gift to many people and to other parts of the world. What we're doing right now is an unbelievable gift. The technology we're using, our health we have, there's a bunch of miracles happening right now in this conversation. It's really easy for us to take our wants, make them needs, and they're not necessarily. And so if you can get grounded and rooted for a minute and get centered and go, okay, around my life and around what I'm doing, things are actually pretty darn good in comparison. Okay, great. Now, what do I need to tackle? Either a privilege or a chore, like maybe it seems insurmountable or maybe it's exciting, but still ground yourself you've got better perspective about what you're going to do next. I love it. Gratitude is a game changer. And there's a good reason why God's word talks about it over and over again, the importance of giving thanks in all circumstances and yeah. multiple places. I love that. If you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, maybe your 20 year old self, I don't know, go back 10, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. What advice would you love to be able to give yourself? In my twenties and thirties, I don't think I would have listened to me, unfortunately. Right. But if I had ears to hear, I would have told myself to bring people around me that can help me expedite. I came from old school, Alan, where entrepreneur was a bad word. It was a word where you told someone you were an entrepreneur and your friend's parents would say, oh, that's awesome. But so then when are you going to go to get a job? And you'd be like, no, no, I'm making money. And, and it's cool now. Shark Tank, everybody's an entrepreneur. Everyone's a CEO and an entrepreneur on LinkedIn now. But again, 20, 30 years ago, 30 years ago, it was a dirty word. It was a word that you didn't say, take lightly, unless you had really built something already, which you have to start somewhere sometime, right? And so right. I would have told myself to bring people around because I held my cards close. And I can point to some of the failures I had in business 
And I had some pretty cool businesses, a couple of them in LA that didn't make it. And it's because I held my card so close and didn't bring collaborators around me. And so I can take all the credit for building it and I can take all the credit for the failure. Imagine if I had just relinquished a little bit of that and brought a partner or two around me or a mentor or two, we'd be having a whole different conversation. I started a company that would have been, it was a competitor, would have been a competitor to Angie's List. We've all heard of Angie's List probably. Well, right. I had that idea first and I had a business in LA that many years ago that was doing the same thing. And we had the, some of the best people around us and then I didn't bring in the right partners on it. My own failure, my own lesson. Angie's List comes out, I'm like, oh, it wasn't like I'm like, oh, I thought of that. No, I got up and I built it. And it didn't work. And it didn't work because of my pride. So I would have went and flicked myself on the head and said, bring people around you. Bring people around you smarter than you collaborate. As mentors and counselors or as partners, or you're just saying, depending on the situation, it could be a combination of any those of that. Those you can you trust. Say. Those that you can be vulnerable with about p yeah. about struggles you're having of knowledge gaps. I don't know what to do next. Advisors. Advisors. Advisors that you can trust to give you good answers, to tell you the truth, and that you can ask hard questions to without being judged. And I think right. that's critical. We all need that. I have it around me spades now, right. Right. but I wish I'd known it back then. So good. Like we have in the mastermind we're in as a part of together. Yeah. So, so good. Such good advice. Hey, as we start to wind this down, just some 30 second type quick question and answers kind of in rapid fire here for you, Derek. Do you have a, maybe a favorite success quote for entrepreneurs that you'd like to share? Well, I've been watching a lot of Shark Tank lately with my kids. So I'll say Mark Cuban's perfection is the enemy of profit. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Perfection is the enemy of profit. So good. Yeah. I love that. Reminds me of Dan Sullivan's 80% rule or 80-20 rule or whatever he calls it. And it's something I really try to implement. Just get it yeah. 80% good and execute. You can That's always right. go get the other 20%, 80% good. And now you're 96% <laughs> to perfection, right. you know? What's one habit? You know, we've talked about some mindsets and things today, but what is one habit, practical habit that you do daily, I guess, probably that you feel like has been key in your success? Mine is exercising and journaling in the morning. And I learned this from a wonderful guy I got to mentor a little bit. He was the center for the Miami Dolphins. And he said, embrace the suck first thing yeah. in the morning. Punish yourself and embrace the suck. And if you do that first thing, the rest of your day, everything else is easier. And so I'll punish myself with exercise, then have quiet time, journaling time, then start the day. That's great advice. Is that the best piece of advice you've ever received? Or would there be another piece of advice that would come to mind that arguably is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that one? Embrace the suck? No, it's probably not yeah. the best advice I've ever received. <laughs> I don't know. I've received a lot of advice. Let me think about that yeah. one. Yeah, I think the other one might be from Aaron Walker, where he talks about don't wake up to a pocket full of money and then come home to a house full of strangers. At what cost will you do anything? And that just kind of gives you where your scorecard we talked about earlier is, well, where do I want priorities and at what balance? Right. Simple things like that, that just make you pause and think. I didn't pause long enough to think about, and I don't think I'm alone in my past. I think a lot of people would put themselves in that same situation. So I love that you mentioned that as one of the greatest pieces of advice you've ever received. What is one book that you might recommend for our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? Let's see, a recent one I really like is Your Brain at Work by Dr. David Rock, which really talks about distractions. Remember I talked about how we embrace distractions and we don't let things get quiet? This goes into neuroscience, but it talks about why we get distracted and how to remove distractions to get the results that we want. I love it. Can you say the title one more time? 
Yes, your brain at work, Dr. David Rock. Derek, one of my favorite questions, how would you, Derek Champagne, define success? Yeah, that's great. Mine is to have peace, to be at peace. And there's a lot of meaning behind that for me, Alan, because it's really about if I'm lazy and I don't work hard, I'm not going to be at peace. If I don't have balance with my family, I'm not going to be at peace. And so for me, it, the success and significance thing has to be tied together. And I ask people that question sometimes too, Alan. I think it's okay for us to have different answers. We're all different people. It might be that I want to play bass guitar on a certain stage with a certain band. Okay, well, that's my dream. But you know, I don't want to have any regrets either. And so I'm at peace when I don't have regrets. I love it. That's good. Peace. It's what everybody wants, whether they realize it or not. And whatever they're searching for, whatever they're striving after, we all want peace. So that is definite success to have peace. And I'm thankful we can. What excites you about the future, Derek, when you just think about the future right now, currently? I'm having a blast. I didn't mention some other companies, but I've got an e-commerce business. We're partnered with the Fortune One company. I won't say their name, but you can look up Fortune One domestically and internationally. We're doing some fun things there. I'm involved in some fun investments. I'm excited about coaching my son's basketball again. Excited about all our family time, watching my kids grow up. They're 14 and 16. Excited about celebrating my 17th wedding anniversary. I'm excited about life. I'm uncertain about some of the things that the future holds, and I kind of actually like that for the first time, Alan. I don't have to know everything about the future. I work hard. I've worked hard for balance, and I'm excited for some of the unknowns that are coming. What a great perspective. Derek, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you if they like, follow along on your journey, any information, contact information? Uh, yeah, I've got a website, DerekChampagne.com, and it has all my resources, probably all the links to everything I do just about, and then contact information there as well. Wonderful. Any closing comment you might want to share with our Life's Hard Succeed Anyway listeners on the way out? I just want to encourage the listeners. I mean, everyone's at a different place in their journey, but I want to encourage you to really find joy and fulfillment in what you're doing. Life feels long, but it's short, as we know, as we look back on decades. I mean, I'm looking, some of you are older than me, some of you are younger. I'm looking back on life in decades now, which is just so crazy, right, Alan? I'm about to be looking at the 40s and going, wow, so that one's gone. My 40s is in the books. And then we're going to blink and the 50s are going to be in the book. And so if you want significance, you want to build something meaning, you want to leave a legacy, if you feel like you are in the fence or you're not getting traction, be willing to make a change, be willing to do the hard work. And it's going to be uncomfortable, but the road less traveled is well worth it. I have almost always in my life taken the road less traveled, uh, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I'll tell you, there's fewer people on that road, but there's some good people on that road that will help you take that journey. And so I want to encourage you to stay on that road less traveled. And that's why you're listening to this podcast. I love it, Derek. Thank you so, so much for taking your valuable time. I know you got a lot of things going on to come on here and share some of your wisdom, your experiences, some of your advice with our listeners. It was awesome. Thank you, brother. Hey, Alan, thanks for sharing your audience and your platform. It's a pleasure. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.